Thank you so much. And I'm going to ask my lovely wife to come on up. This is my wife, Elise Beasley. You give her a hand. Yes. Men, if you're not married, just make sure you're anointed and uh, pray in the Holy Ghost a lot, all right? If Luke's ain't in your favor, just pray in tongues. Come on, somebody. And he who finds a wife finds a... And obtains favor from the Lord. I got it. <laughs> She's like embarrassed, yeah. So we have, uh, we have four children, um, and uh, we have a, a fifth child, a, another child that's in our care. We decided uh, from the Lord leading us to do foster care this year. So we have from nine years old all the way to seven months old. So pray for us. No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, but my wife felt uh, just a prompting from the Lord, just a word that she wanted to share with you guys that she was hearing. Yeah, so this morning... Um I do what probably many of you do. I open my Bible app, and I like to see what the, uh, the verse of the day is. And um, the verse of today was Psalms 32, verse 8, which is a very special and dear uh, verse to my heart because I, number one, got it tattooed on my foot. But um, it was, it was, uh, it was the, um, the verse when I first really had an encounter with the Lord in college at the ramp that uh, really stuck out to me. And um, I love reading the different versions of the Bible and just seeing what, uh, what the Lord can highlight to me. And when I saw it, I remembered what it said in the Passion Translation. And I felt like that was a word for someone here who might just be having a cloud of confusion or just a, a way of not knowing exactly what you're supposed to do right now. And so I just want to read this and speak it over you. And it is Psalms 32, verse 8 and 9. And this is what it says. It says, I hear the Lord saying, I will stay close to you, instructing and guiding you along the pathway for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn. When I take you where you've never been before, don't make me tug and pull you along. Just come with me. And I feel that is a word for probably many of you who've, who might even, you might be even feeling the inklings from the Lord to do something, but you don't really want to do it because you know that that is a big step of faith. But he's saying, I'm pulling, don't make me pull you just like a horse where you're having to pull and pull and pull. It's like, no, just walk with me because I'm guiding you. And it is a walk of faith. We're not going by what we can see, right? If we did, none of us would do anything. So just take that as a word from the Lord of, I need to walk by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we receive that today? Amen. Is uh, Melanie in the room that was up here leading worship? She might be uh, uh, kind of getting refreshed or something like that. I'll, 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 uh, I, have, I have something for her. She's back here. Where are you at, Melanie? Oh, right here. Did you get to hear that verse just now? No, a little bit. Come back up here. <laughs> I felt it's a word for the house, but I felt specifically for you. And I heard the Lord say when you were up here worshiping, I said, he said, tell her, don't turn to the right or to the left, but to set your face like flint 
determined to do, do the will of God. And I feel like there are things that are maybe pulling you, but the Lord wants you to keep your eyes on him, and you're going to walk on water. You're going to do the impossible, and you're going to see amazing things. But I wanted to read this verse, but specifically this time, I want to read it over you, Melanie, and, uh, and then I want us to pray for her. I hear the Lord saying, I will stay close to you, instructing and guiding you along the pathway for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn when I take you where you've never been before. Don't make me tug you and pull you along. Just come with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stretch our hands to Melanie there. Melanie, just lift your hands. Father, we just declare today that Melanie is at the right place at the right time with the right people doing exactly what you've called her to do. Father, right now we dispel every thought of doubt and unbelief and attack of the enemy. And we declare that her steps are ordered by the Lord and you delight in her way. I thank you, God, that you're going to fulfill the purpose over her life, God. And I see that there's been this fear, this fear that the enemy has sowed as a seed to say, what if I don't? And what if I don't accomplish this? Or what if I don't accomplish what you told me, Lord? But the Lord Lord says, daughter, know that I am with you, that I am for you, and that I'm taking you all the way, says the Lord. We bless you, Melanie, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Well, back there today after you exit, there will be some product that I want to share a little bit about. I'll share a little bit about who we are, and uh, I want to show a video today of a mission that we are accomplishing in the Middle East, but this is a book called Victory. I wrote it this past fall, fall of 22, and uh, this was a labor of love, and really the life message that I carry very close to my heart, which is the message of faith, and this is your guide to victory, right? Any Star Wars fans in the house today? All right, all four of you. I hear more. Let me see hands. All right. So imagine that I am your Yoda, and you are Luke Skywalker, and I'm trying to help you defeat Darth Vader, all right? I'm going to be your guide. I'm going to be your mentor, and this is your book. This book is your guide to victory. And how many know Jesus said that he has come to give us life and life more? Where is that? That's not a one-day promise. That's a two-day promise. We have got to live lives of victory in this earth, but there's a real enemy that Jesus said in John 10.10 when he identified him, saying he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. So we are to expose our enemy, to resist him, to look to our God by faith, have faith in God is what Jesus told us, and we are to receive his promises, his inheritance, and all that he has for us, and that's exactly the life calls us to live. So this book is simply a compilation of truths and stories that are going to Build your faith in order to help you receive your God-given miracle. And I'm going to sow this into my new friends, Doug and Kate, that I met this morning. And so God bless you guys. It's an honor to meet you guys. So give them a hand right now. <laughs> Secondly, on our product table is a, is a T-shirt. Let me hold this up for you guys. Elise, I need you up here to model this. You're much more prettier than I am. <laughs> amen. I heard an Amen. Amen. <laughs> Come on with it. Just be honest. Come on, somebody. 
So if you can kind of show that, what you see here is a picture of Winston Churchill, and you can come over to this side as well, let these people see. But this is a picture of Winston Churchill looking like he's holding up the peace sign, right? And, uh, but he's not holding up peace. He's actually holding up a V that represents victory. And Winston Churchill in World War II, there was an evil regime in the earth uh, called Nazism, led by a demonic figure, Adolf Hitler. And they had one goal, to conquer the world and to suppress them, and it was stopping the gospel. There was all kinds of wickedness that was happening, and Europe became intimidated and fearful in all of this. And while nation after nation was finding itself being conquered and bowing its knee to Adolf Hitler, one little island in the middle of nowhere named England, led by the prime minister, uh, Winston Churchill, stood up and said, we will fight this tyranny and we will do whatever it takes to defeat Nazism in the earth. Eventually allying with America and even another evil nation, Russia, they would take down Adolf Hitler and they now celebrate uh, May 8th, victory in Europe Day, but you see him here holding this up, and on the back is a quote here from one of his famous speeches. He would get on the radio, and he would inspire the Brits, and he would say, we will fight this tyranny. We're going to do everything. Later, I would find out that he would bankrupt the entire nation uh, with every asset that they gave to fight this tyranny in the earth, but this is what it says on the back. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. So you want to make sure to grab this shirt today as a reminder that you are to live the victorious life that Jesus paid for. Grab a book, grab a shirt today, and I promise you, you will be blessed. Well, I want to uh, share a little bit about who we are. As I said, this is my wife, Elise. I'm, I'm Brian. We have five children right now. And uh, for the past 18 years, we have worked with the ministry called The Ramp. How many have heard of The Ramp? Let me see your hands. A lot of people in here. And this church is very connected to The Ramp and uh, loves The Ramp dearly. Kenzie is a graduate. Corey is a graduate of The Ramp School of Ministry. And so for the past 18 years, I've, I've, I've just baptized my life in that culture, serving, honoring, serving on leadership alongside my wife in that house. And this past April, we felt the green light from the Holy Spirit saying, it's time to step out on the water yourself. It's time to pursue the vision that I put within you. So we've launched Beasley Family Ministries, and we are, we are discipling and evangelizing nations, beginning where we're at. And we're watching God do incredible things. Right now, that looks like traveling itinerant, building relationships with churches, strengthening and, and encouraging the body of Christ as I'll do here in just a minute. We have a work in Liberia that we're connected to, a benevolent work with an orphanage there. And then we do a work in Pakistan. So I want you to turn your attention to the screens and I want you to show you a little bit of what we're doing in Pakistan. say anything about our world right now it's a time of trouble but that means according to the word of god god is closer than ever before and god is with you wherever you're at god is with you god loves you and god wants to heal you and god wants to forgive you and god wants to set you free but you have one job only believe.
God loves you. And he sent Jesus 2,000 years ago in the form of a man. God left heaven. And what did that man do? He lived a perfect, sinless life, resisting the devil, anointed by his father to perform miracle signs and wonders. And then what did he do at the age of 33? He went to a cross. And what was the cross about? The cross was about the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, put upon Jesus. And he died on the cross. And the Bible tells us after three days of being dead, that God the Father raised him to life again in victory. is in heaven, seated at his Father's right hand, praying for you today, praying for me today. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. What am I saying today? You only have to believe. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's Savior, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Save from this present evil age. Save from the consequences of sin. Hell is not your eternity anymore. And you get to carry gifts of the Holy Spirit and minister to others in need. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you give God praise right now? Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I love watching that. I love, I'm just so moved by that. Just in mass, we're watching Muslims. We're watching idol worshipers. We're watching people who have no religion at all, who've never heard about Jesus in their entire lives. Hear that God came in the form of a man to this earth, stretched out his hands on a bloody cross and died for their sins. And not only that, he rose again and offers them the gift of eternal life. In mass, there is a harvest of people that are coming to Christ like never before. And then God is confirming his word with miracles, signs, and wonders. We're watching crazy miracles unfold, deaf ears open, all kinds of things that we're seeing simply because they believe. Amen. Can we give God praise one more time? Let's go in our Bibles together. I want to minister this morning on the topic, are you a sent one? Are you a sent one? In my subtitle today, if I could give it a subtitle, I would just simply say, it is a call to intimacy with Jesus. Are you a sent one? Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. They'll throw it on the screen for you there. This is John getting a snapshot of the end of humanity, all right? He's getting, a, he's getting a glimpse into heaven, and he's going to tell us what he's seen in heaven. 
After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. Where are they from? John, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches that represent victory, in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here's the crazy thing. At the end of all ends in human- of humanity, the snapshot of heaven is that heaven is going to be so full, we couldn't count the people if we wanted to. Now, throughout history, we've seen these instruments and ways that we can calculate crowds, Right? The 1700s, Benjamin Franklin was a fan of the Reverend George Whitfield, and he attended one of George Whitfield's evangelistic crusades. And with his modern technology of that time, the brilliant mind of Benjamin Franklin, he was able to calculate by walking and calculating the number of people that 80,000 people came to hear the Reverend George Whitfield. We know in the early 2000s, who evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, who's now with the Lord, that they were able to calculate by human instrumentation, that over a million people came to a service to hear him preach the gospel. When Billy Graham was living and he went to South Korea to preach to the South Koreans, that they calculated a million people showed up to hear the Reverend Billy Graham. But at the end of ends, there will be no human instrumentation to measure the incalculable numbers of people that will be in heaven. And not only are they from, from America and, and, and quote-unquote rich nations, but this is every nation, every tribe, every tongue is going to be represented there. Now, this is amazing to me, and, and I've I come all the way to Inverness to, to make this announcement that at the end of ends, heaven wins. <laughs> at the end of end, God wins. I don't know about you, but I kind of grew up in, 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 a, in, a, in a Christian circle, and, and, and we kind of believe like this. We said, well, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and Jesus, just come on and get us back. Come on, go, just take us on with you, right? We just wanted to, to get out of this earth, but Jesus didn't say that. He said, occupy till I come, that we are to take ground, that we are to advance the kingdom of God. And let me tell you something, that snapshot of heaven, I got news today, is not going to happen by chance. It's not going to happen automatically because when we see what God is going to do, we kind of have this posture where we immediately go, you do it, God. Go, God. Do your thing. Go save those people. But here's the problem. God uses people. (laughs) God uses his church. I think about Moses who, who, who has been delivered out of Egypt. And he's with, he's with his Jethro and he's got a family now and all of this. And, and, and God shows up to him in the burning bush. And, and God says this. He goes, I've heard the cry of my people. And I've come down, Moses, to rescue them. And I'm, I'm going, I can imagine Moses' reaction going, well, well praise the Hallelujah. I'm so grateful, God. I know they're miserable. I got out, but I know they're miserable, and and they don't want to be slaves anymore. And then God says the most shocking statement next. He goes, therefore, go, Moses. And we know the story. Moses argues with him for another chapter. You got the wrong guy, right? I can't speak, right? He's a stutterer. 
right? And Moses is talking, what, what, what was it? I come down to rescue them, but I need a vessel. I need someone to use. God doesn't do things independent of people. And when in the beginning, he gave the authority to Adam and Eve. And in essence, God said, I can't get involved in the earth unless you let me. Why is God not changing the world right now? Maybe because the church is not changing the world right now. Because God works through people. So if we're going to see heaven filled, guess what? we got a role to play in this. Can I get an amen? Let's go to Romans chapter 10 together. Romans 10, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. Romans 10, we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. I'm reading out of the New King James today. It says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that. And he's talking about whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. How then shall they call on him, capital H, talking about Jesus. How shall they call on Jesus if they have not believed in Jesus? And how shall they believe in Jesus if they've not heard about Jesus? And how shall they hear about Jesus if no one tells them about Jesus? And how shall they tell them, others, about Jesus unless they are, what is that word there? Sent. Everybody say sent. Paul is giving us by the Holy Spirit the progression that leads to someone's salvation. Someone is sent. That sent one tells someone about Christ. When they hear about Christ, they believe on Christ. When they believe, they call on Jesus. And whoever calls on that name will be saved. This is what Paul is showing us. We all in this room went through that same progression. Someone told you about Jesus. Someone shared the gospel with you. It could have been your mom. Your grandma, your, your grandpa, your father, a sibling. It could have been a co-worker, a friend, a teacher. But we're all in this room today grateful that we're born again because someone told us about the gospel. I don't know about you, but there, I, there is a need in our world today. Right now, statistics tell us there are 8 billion people, about 8 billion people on our planet. Did you know 42.4% of those 8 billion people lived in what is called unreached places. They're unreached peoples. And what does it mean to be unreached? It means the work, if there is any, of Christianity is so struggling among them, are so little, less than 2% are Christian, that they cannot penetrate their society to get the gospel out without outside assistance. And many of those three, and that, that equivalents to 3.4 billion people, almost half our planet, many of which have never even heard about Jesus. Wow. So there is a need of these unreached. And then let's talk about the reached world. Let's talk about America and England and, 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 and our Western culture that is considered reached even in our reached places. Guess what? I bet there's a lot of people in Inverness today that didn't go to church. I bet there's a lot of people, no doubt, that love the Lord in this city, but there's a lot that are lost and we rub shoulders with them every single day. What did Paul tell Timothy? He said, you are an Ephesus. You're a pastor. We've reached a lot of people. We talked about tens of thousands have been born again in Ephesus. But Timothy, don't forget, while you're feeding the sheep, do the work of an evangelist. 
there's still a lot of people in Ephesus that don't know you. There is a need in our world today. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful I'm not going to hell. I'm grateful I'm going to heaven. I'm grateful I've got a relationship with God. Then why wouldn't I take that gratitude and pay it forward? Why would I not tell other people about the Jesus that has saved me? So the question is this. We want people saved. We want to reach the unreached. We want to reach the lost in our reached areas. But the question this morning is what Paul was saying. Where are the preachers? Where are those that are communicating the gospel to their neighbor? Where is the church? Where is, where is the people doing the work of an evangelist? Right? And you might, you might immediately rebut me and go, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not going to hold a microphone and stand on the stage and behind a pulpit like you, Pastor Brian. I'm grateful for what you do, and I'm, I'm celebrating what you're doing, but that's not me, and that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not asking for preachers like me. He's asking for people that can communicate their faith to others. Now, here's the, here's the good news today. We all know how to preach. Where's my, where's my Florida Gator fans? Come on, somebody. Yeah, I know. I know. We, y'all lost. And if I had a team... I tell you who it is, and I'm not. I don't know if we won or not, right? I didn't, I didn't get to watch it. I did watch that Georgia game, that Auburn game. That was really good. But you're passionate about your team. When, when, when Saturday's coming along, husbands, you look at your wives, and you start preaching. Honey, the game's coming on. We can't go anywhere that night. We don't need to hang out with people. I want some buffalo wings, right? I want some pretzel sticks. And you preach a sermon, and, and then she's kind of thinking about it, and then you give an altar call. Will you respond, honey? <laughs> You've been preaching for years. After service today, you're going to get real hungry. And what are you going to do? You're going to think about that wild west shrimp at Longhorn. And you're going to go, honey, I think the Lord is leading me to get that wild west shrimp. And she goes, like, you know what, honey? I think you're right. And as you give that altar call, she is going to bow her knee. And we're going to drive on along. Come on, somebody. You know how to preach. Preaching is simply talking about what you're passionate about. We're in this room today singing holy, holy, holy. We are worshiping our God. And God forbid that we lose our minds in this room about Jesus and walk out of this building and forget all about him. God forbid we see a needy person and we don't tell them about the Jesus that can change their life around. Where are the preachers? But Romans 10 actually goes deeper than that. And it doesn't say we actually have a preacher problem. Romans 10 says they're not preaching because they're not sent. So I want to answer the question today. How does one get sent? Let's go to Mark 3 together. Mark 3. We're going to look at verses 13 through 15. No doubt, life verses to me revolutionized my life. But I want to pull something out of here to show you how one gets sent. Mark 3, 13 through 15. And Jesus went up on the mountain. And he called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve. Why did you pick these 12, Jesus, that they might be with him? And then he might 
look at this, send them out. There's that word sent. He's going to send them out. And what are they going to do? They're going to preach. They're going to communicate about what they're passionate about. And what else? They're going to have power or authority to heal sickness and cast out demons. To me, this sounds so much like the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And he said, these signs will follow them that believe. How many believers in the house today? He didn't say signs will follow evangelists. Signs will follow apostles. Signs will follow prophets. He said signs will follow believers. And what are those signs? He goes through a whole list. But two specific ones. He said, in my name, you're going to cast out demons. That's what Mark 3 just said. And they're going to lay hands on the sick and they might recover. No, they will recover. As believers. So here we are, Jesus is rehashing before he would give the great commission. He's given them a commission in Mark chapter 3, and these were his apostles. The NLT in verse 14 says, he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. Apostle is a Greek word that means a sent one. Now, I'm not talking about the fivefold ministry gift of Christ, of the apostle, that office. I'm talking about believers who are apostolic, believers who have a divine mandate and mission in their hearts to do what God has called them to do. Are you with me today? This is such a need today, and, and, and I, love, I love people that are sent. They're passionate. They're extreme for God. We got to spend time with the, the, the Lou Engel. Lou Engel is a prophet of the Lord, but... One day on the airplane, I was telling my wife this story. He was reading the, the autobiography or, or, or a biography of, of uh, William Wilberforce, the man who ended the slave trade in England. And while reading this book, God said, will you raise up a prayer movement for the ending of abortion? Just like he gave his life to end the slave trade in England, will you give your life to see Roe v. Wade overturned in America? Well, guess what? We just saw that overturned. We just saw God answer that prayer 20 years later. But I walked with Lou. I saw Lou. I saw a man that was so given. He rocked all the time when he prayed. When he talked, he had no normal voice. It was just gruff. Because he had lost it years ago, giving himself to the place of prayer for a revival in America. He was a sin one. I've served for the past 18 years, Miss Karen Wheaton. We just had a church-wide meeting. Where she brought everybody together to share her heart. And guess what she's talking about? 20 years after she began the ram, she's still talking about, we've got to get a generation. We've got to reach these kids. Gen Z is the most unreached generation that's ever lived. We've got to get them. And I'm going, 20 years later, she's still a sent one. And if we reverse engineer it, we're going to find a common denominator in Lou and Miss Karen and everyone else you'll ever meet. And let's look at what that common denominator is. What were they to do? When Jesus called them to himself, they came to him. He appoints them 12, designating them apostles. What did he say for them to do? He gave them one job. I'm going to send you out. You're going to change the world. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to preach. You're going to heal the sick. But I'm giving you one job. Be with me. Hang out with me. How do you become a sent one? You got one job. Hang out with Jesus. I don't know how long ago it was. It was kind of a joke that went around, a bunch of memes. It was probably, you know, four or five years ago. 
Y'all remember those? You got one job, right? And they painted the lines wrong on the road, and, you know, and, and they did all that. And you got one job. All you got to do is put a cone out there, bro, right? And now you're endangering all these lives because you didn't do your one job. And I'm afraid as a church, we're not doing our one job. And I'm not telling you your job today is to share the gospel with everybody in Inverness. I hope it leads to that. I'm not telling you your job today is, 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 is to do this or that. I'm telling you, you got one job, church. Hang out with Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know you're in this room today because you love God. You do. I'm not saying, I'm not accusing this morning. Saying, you bunch of backslidden, you know, people and all this. I'm, I'm not saying, I know you love God. But I know you got something going on just like me. You got this thing called life happening. I got five kids. Come on, somebody. Between nine and seven months. Okay? You got life, right? You go out to go to work that morning, try to crank the car, and battery's dead. You know, you know what I'm talking about? God forbid the air conditioning go out in the car. Come on, somebody. Praying in tongues. I thought, you know, as if Satan himself manifested. Come on. <laughs> Especially in Inverness, Florida. Right? You love God. But you got this thing called life. And God has given us so much of life as a gift. And the enemy is coming. And at times he attacks. And that's true. But none of that is to replace him. And I found ourselves reducing Jesus to a little bit of prayer time on the way to work just to get it in. A little bit of reading here and a little bit of reading there. And you're, you're, you're working on the relationship. But the relationship's struggling. You know, if, if, if my wife, you know, if I, I, you know, got with her and I said, you know, Siri set a timer for five minutes. And I said, honey, let's talk. Let's, uh, let's spend our time together today. How many know I'm going to be needing to meet with Pastor Otis and Stacy for some marriage counseling? Come on, somebody. Because I think my marriage is going to work in just a little bit of time. It's not that there's not a relationship, but the communication barriers are falling down. No one gets divorced overnight. There were things you can reverse engineer and see where it broke down. No one backslides overnight. And I'm not, again, accusing you of that. I'm just saying when we're not intimate with him, we are missing divine mandates and missions that Jesus is wanting to impart into us. It's not a preacher problem. It's not a believers who are not evangelizing problem. It's maybe believers who are not being with him problem. Maybe our priorities have gotten rearranged. And we have lost out on knowing him in that intimate way. See, when you get to know someone, when I dated Elise, you know, you always have the surface conversations, right? You're talking about what you like, what you don't like, what kind of ice cream, you know, this and that. She says, you know, uh, my favorite movie is such and such chick flick. And you go, oh, mine too. You lying, 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 right? You get to know each other. It's all that surface conversation. But then you hit a mark where you begin to see her heart. And I realize, oh, wow, 
she likes more than such and such ice cream and such and such movies, there's actually something in there that she's passionate about, core values of who she is. And here's the same thing with God, that we get to know God. But many of us are staying on that surface. But there are places in God that he wants to show out of the abundance of the mouth. What speaks? Let me tell you something. God can't speak without showing his heart. And when he shows his heart, it ruins you. And here's what I want you to know this morning. God's got a heartbeat for one thing and one thing only. People. For God so loved the. God loves people. And the problem is we don't always feel the same. I was with the. I was with this couple, and this was some time ago. They were in ministry. As I was at lunch with them, and the wife began to open up her heart and say, you know, Brian, I don't know if I really care about people. And I'm going, then you need to find another job. You're in the wrong occupation. And I don't care if you are a pastor or you're a nurse or you're a teacher. If we're going to be Christians... He's got a heartbeat for one thing. People. He really, you know, I've learned this about God. God's not trying to keep people from going to heaven. He's trying to get them into heaven. God loves Hamas today. He loves the Taliban today. He loves the most wicked atheist today. But he also loves the struggling believer today. God loves people. And as we get near to God... What's he start doing? He starts showing you that heart. And when you catch that heart, you get ruined. And you say, I didn't know you felt that way. Now, I read about it and heard preachers talk about it, but I didn't know you felt that way. Now you've experienced it. And when you experience it, you find yourself giving yourself for it. That's a sin one, friend. It ruins you. Band, I want you to come on. I want to, I want to share a story with you guys today. It was January of 22. And uh, I, I was in the process of writing my book. And I asked my wife, I said, honey, will you give me permission to take a month to lock myself away? Now, this was a big ask. But with, at that time, four children, before we got the child in our care, and I'm going to write, but I was also in this place where I felt what I'm, I'm telling you today. I felt this call. Draw near, Brian. Draw near. I'm calling you closer. I've been saved at 20 years at this point. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. There are days I've got a little time with God, and there are other days I'm able to compensate and have plenty of time with God. It's not that I'm not loving on the Lord. He's using me in ministry, and I'm seeing people saved and healed and delivered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so here I am, and I'm getting to the office about an hour or two before people get in there. I'm just worshiping, worshiping, seeking the Lord. I'm drawing near. And I found myself in doing this where God began to really show up. And I remember saying this statement to the Lord, I forgot how close you could be. (laughs) I, I forgot... You know, I'm I'm going, I never knew there was this much of you. 
Well, I got news. God didn't go anywhere. I did. God didn't go anywhere. God didn't leave my life. He loved me. He was with me. But here's the thing about relationship. How close or how far you are from God is up to you. What did he say in James? Draw near to God and he will what? You know what that verse tells me? It's your move. It's your move. We come into church tired from the week, weary. And I believe God wants to minister to us. But we come in here, we lift our hands, and we, we say something like this in our hearts. Rock my world, Jesus. We're hardly singing. We're thinking about the week. We're thinking about what we got to do. You're thinking about what you got in the oven or whatever that might be. But here's the problem. We're wanting him to draw near without doing our part. No, you've got to draw near. You're the first move. And then he'll draw near to you. See, at salvation, what did God do? He came to us. But guess what the walk of Christianity is? It's time for you to come to him. It's time for you to come to him. I can count maybe on one hand times where God just sovereignly came and he ministered to me without my effort, without any of that. I'm grateful for them. But you know what it was? It was kind of like a divine game of tag. Hey, Brian, you're in. And he kind of backs up, right? He's like a dad playing a game of tag with this five-year-old, right? You're not going to go to the best hiding place. You know where to go. But you're going to get behind that closet door, and what are you going to do? You're going to kind of stick your foot out. Right? You know what God's doing? God might seem distant, but he's got his foot out going, I hope you find me. He's whistling a little bit. He's making some noises. Because he's saying, come on. Come on, church. I know you got life. Life is on all of us. But don't stop the pursuit. You love God. But what's the call this morning? The call is not to evangelism. The call is go deeper. Go get him. Go after God. You love him. But man, does he want to show up to you and say, for you to respond with, I forgot how close you could be. This is the invitation today. Let's stand to our feet all across this room. Today we're going to pray. But I want to say this to you today. If everyone would, I just want you to close your eyes right now where you stand. If we can, nobody moving around, just very reverently in the room. But today if you're here And I just felt just the subtle nudge of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're not where you need to be today. I mentioned earlier, I know everyone loves God, but maybe you are in this room and you're backslidden today. Maybe you've neglected God, not just with giving Him little time, but no time. Today, you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, knowing you need to make things right with Jesus. I want you to know today, God is not angry at you. God is not mad at you. He loves you so much. And today he is wooing you back to his presence. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple adjustment. But today you've got to make that choice. With no one looking around, with no one moving around. Today if you say, Pastor Brian, pray for me. I want to make things right with God this morning. I've not been where I should. I've not read my Bible. I've not been praying. And today 
I want to make a fresh commitment to Christ and receive afresh His forgiveness. Lift those hands right now. Who am I talking to? All over the room. Lift them up. Lift them up. There they are. Come on, just before the Lord. I feel the Holy Spirit right now. Come on, it's a simple adjustment. I acknowledge you, Holy Spirit. I acknowledge you, Jesus. And today I want to make things right. If everybody would, pray this prayer after me. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, what's he going to do? He's going to rescue us. He's going to save us from our sin. So everyone, lift those hands together and pray this with me. Everyone say, Dear Lord Jesus, I repent of sin today. I put my faith and trust in you, Christ. I'm so sorry that I've neglected you, that I've walked away from you. But today I make a fresh choice and decision to follow you. You are my Lord and Savior. You're my very best friend. Give me a fresh hunger for you. Through your word and prayer, I make this choice today. In Jesus' name I pray.